My name's Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. I'll tell you what, it has been a wild week for the news. I have been in the Permian Basin at the oil uh, show, the International Oil Show. Uh, it was phenomenal. I, I got to meet some absolutely wonderful folks. We have a lot of podcasts coming out of there. Uh, talk to some great folks from uh, Africa. So it's about elevating humanity out of poverty through low-cost energy. So sit back and enjoy the show. Share, like, tell your friends, tell your pets. And I am so excited. We'll see you again on Monday morning. Have a great day. All right, let's start off with Bill Gates. Stuns audience by denying there's a climate crisis. I'm going to just say this man's a chowderhead. Bill Gates, he's worth uh, estimated $7 billion, and he is questionable on his uh, business dealings. Quote, unquote, Michael. There's a lot of... Of climate exaggeration, yep. said Gates at a recent event. The climate is not the end of the planet, so the planet is going to be just fine. Man, where did this come from? This is the same guy that was going around saying that we're going to die and you got to eat bugs and now we got to kill everybody. Well, I mean, so wasn't he going, funding things to, to like cloud seeding? Wasn't he behind all of the yes, cloud seeding it, stuff where they're going to shoot stuff into the atmosphere? Nuke the atmosphere to he's part save of the us world. all from climate change? Yeah, he's part of the World Economic Forum and he wants to be all about control. And so he's bought most of the, a lot of farm, he's the the biggest farm land owner in the United States so he can control food. I'm I'm serious. This guy, here's another quote. You can't have climate policy when one party's in charge goes full of uh, speed and then stops cold. These are 30-year investments in steel factories. Hey, okay. My, uh, my question is so what's his incentive for saying this? You're uh, right. He was trying. He He's amassed this farm, this largest private farm land, because he says that, you know, conventional farming methods have a negative impact on the environment. He's come out and said climate change previously would be responsible for more human deaths than COVID. That was pre-2020. My question is, what incentive now does he have to say this? Now, you know, he's a smart guy. He probably knew this all along. The question is what, in my opinion, what financial incentive does he have now to make this decision? Is he now it, looking at funding other sources like, say, you know, is he in on compressed natural gas? Is he going to go buy all the, the stuff that's that's collecting vapors over landfills? We talked about the stuff that BP's doing. Is right. there, in my opinion, there's got to be some financial incentive. Follow the money. Pushing. Yeah, exactly. So my question is, it'd be interesting to see what investments he's made recently. Uh, he's made a couple of them and they are not in the I'm going to have more information on this. But here's here's where you have to look at the head of the W.E. World Economic Forum said, oh, by the way, um, people are waking up and they're not taking the shots. We've lost control of the shots. We've also hang on, dude. And I know. And, and we got to find a new way. Bill Gates is the tip of the spear. And I guarantee you, watch what he does. Okay. I see. Now, a shill for Klaus Schwab. Hey, let's go to the, the war here. Um, uh, Bloomberg estimates economic cost of the Iran-Israel uh, conflict. Again, I just want to say our hearts and prayers go out yep. to the entire area on this. 
here's the worst case scenario. The world would be plunged into a recession and lose $1 trillion in GDP. Right now, Michael, $1 trillion in GDP spread out between the countries. Countries are on the edge because of printing money. You know how I feel about printing money. And we are facing already. Here's a couple quotes in here. Uh, Bloomberg economics analyst, well, these three scenarios... The wider conflict, the spreads, the more it impacts becomes global rather than regional. Conflict in the Middle East can send tremors through the world because the region is a crucial supplier of energy and a key shipping passage. Uh, And one other key in here for another analysis, the spare production capacity in Saudi Arabia and the UAE may not save the day if Iran decides to close the Strait Hermos, through which one fifth of the world's daily oil supplies pass. There'd also be an extreme risk off shift in the financial markets. I mean, okay. so to answer the question, what's the worst case scenario? That right there. Yep. The closing of the Strait of Hormuz would be horrible in terms of short term oil prices. Oil's at 87 now. You'd see 100, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, and and here's, and I talked about 150, this. 150, maybe. I don't know. It, it would short be a lot. Term. You'd see I, I don't a large think. jump. I talked about this, the trifecta of Retro. And I've talked to several other experts over the weekend. You have the one if Israel takes out the export facilities for and the downstream capabilities in Iran. We have a chowderhead in Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, called for the United States to do that. Yeah, that's that's that that's, is that, that's almost that's criminal in my opinion. You want to put us in a war? Not criminal, but I mean, holy! Since I read that, I got a shiver. I said, "Oh man, they want a nuclear war with Iran right now." What a, he is the ultimate chowderhead. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, okay, so if that happens, step one, if because uh, they've sold $30 billion worth of oil just to China, but they now have over $70 billion in their coffers, the only export they have is oil. So yeah. that's a lot. So now if uh, Iran counters and they mine the uh, Strait of Hermos, that is huge. Those two items are going to cause those two single items. Here's the other uh, third piece of this. They, You and I talked about this a little bit, and that is uh, in the Club Med. A little bit more data on Club Med. The uh, Leviathan field that Israel uh, is really got some, uh, they've got, production out of and it goes to Egypt. The Egypt natural gas has spare capacity in order to export LNG. What's going around the rest of the world with LNG? Very, very important. So the only way for Israel to ship natural gas to the market is through Egypt. Ah, here's a really big issue. You have Turkey and Cyprus fighting over the border wall like you and I talked about for years. It's now surfaced again. So if they're taking that off, Israel is, I mean, um, Egypt is going to lose 20% of their energy, which is done by natural gas. Wow. I mean, all of those three things are like, holy smoke. COP28 in Dubai, climate negotiations at a crossroad. And I think China is probably right in the center of that crossroad, yep. Michael. <laughs> There's a cartoon, cute cartoon there. And you look at 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, and then 28 is there. 
And you see people at the bar either trying to pick each other up. Uh, and now they're having, I'll take checks, a bank order. Do you have any money? Uh, is there money down there? What is going on this year? And that's because there's such a, there's a great sequence of events in here, Michael, from Comp 27. And now we're coming down to Comp 28 uh, with a leadership in the UAE be castinated by legacy media. Similarly, the conclusion of COP28, will it care? This is a hoot of an article, Michael. It's, it's kind of like sitting there going, in COP28, another high carbon footprint farce. <laughs> and they have the Saudi prince going to be there. They have Aramco going to be there. I got to get me a flight to Dubai to be there for this. Uh, yeah, you this can maybe a catch quote. a flight on John Kerry's private jet. We know that'll make a. We'll, we'll know that. Makes I a few would not out there. ever want to ride with Lurch. There is no way that I could ever get my cart ratty carcass on a plane with Lurch. The economist John Kenneth Galbraith once remarked, "Meetings are indispensable when you don't want to do anything. <laughs> They're going to go over there." And have ladies in the evening, and they're going to have nothing to talk about because so it's is, economies. Is, is your prediction that COP28, is, is it going to be a slight about face when it comes to setting these ambitious climate targets? Or do you feel like there's all of this? Because right now there's all this noise. Every we've This is the, the fourth story we ran that said, hey, COP28 might be a little different. Might be a little bit, you know, you said MBS is going to be there. UAE is going to be there. You know, there's a lot of people within the oil and gas business they are going to be there and are giving a prominent voice. Do you see this as actually a shift in what's going to be the policies, quote unquote, that are going to come out of this? Or is this just a lot of noise around what will eventually just be the same old talking point? Africa revolt against net zero. This is one of my passions about being a humanitarian and a legend in my own mind. Not only am I a legend, I am a humanitarian. And guess what I get to do tomorrow? I'm talking to Cyrus Brooks from, uh, he's going to be in Africa and he's lining me up some African uh, thought leaders and big dogs to talk about African uh, stepping away from net zero. Africa's revolting against net zero and I'll have more on it, but this article is really cool. Then at the COP26 summit, oh, this one is actually in a thread again, Michael. You see how I wove that in there? Um, the Breakthrough Institute, I can't even, I'm, I, Michael Vaha, Ramachand, and Seaver Wang of the Breakthrough Institute observe, quote, no matter what advocates and policymakers say, these cheap renewables only scenario remain the theoretical and unproven for wealthy countries. <laughs> Africans are tired of having high Belt and Road Initiative, high cost of capital, high cost of energy being forced on them because nobody's loaning them money for fossil fuels. And that drives me nuts. Sorry. It is. Considering the fact that, you know, they have in it, you know, they have 13% of the world's global gas reserves, which is only slightly less than the Middle East. I mean, think about it. Africa has the same amount of natural gas as the Middle East, and we can't allow them to unlock it. Why? Because because, oh, we got to it first and you know, we had all our fun with with with, with oil and now we all have I mean, it's, it's incredible to me, to me the amount of natural resources that 
Africa has that they're really not able to be exploited. I love that, that, you know, at one point they say the governments of Uganda and Tanzania say they intend to move forward with the projects regardless, arguing they can't afford not to exploit their natural resources while the world still runs on fossil fuels. I couldn't agree more. Uh, absolutely. But I, I guarantee you, we as a world should pay more for oil coming out. But I know it's an it's a world market. There needs to be an Africa tax only Africa only tax so that we pay for the energy transition by buying from them more expensive and then selling it internally for them at a lower price. I'm all in on that. Yeah, this is a great article. Thomas Fozzi over at the Unheard. Yes. You know, he, he there's a bunch of different quotes in here. You've got the Senegalese president, Mackie Saul, who's also the president of the African Union. He's quoted in here basically saying that they've got no choice but to explode the largest gas reserves. Um, You've got the president of or the former VP of Nigeria making the exact same argument. Everybody. What's funny is everybody in Africa is on the same page. It's just us that for some reason can't get on their page. Oh, it's me. I, I'm all in, man. I'm a cheerleader. I'm like, yeah, you're not the one holding it back, though. But yes, I agree. Climate change is the number one problem of, of what? No nation? Very interesting. So according to preliminary results from the World Meteorological Organization, last month was the warmest September ever recorded around the world. The latest string of apparent temperature records. Nevertheless, despite the constant barrage of media attention given to the, quote, accidental threat, the topic of climate change has still not reached the top of the agenda for many people, according to data from the Statistic Consumer Insights. According to that statistic, as Catherine Buckholtz, a respondent to none of the 21 nations covered by the survey collectively rated climate change as the most important problem for their own country when asked to name the issues of the world's business significance. Um, you can find more of this info as statistic. Switzerland comes in the closest um, with climate change being named as a severe issue and the second um, highest number of respondents behind rising prices and inflation. It was lowest in Poland and South Africa. United States was actually an outlier, only 30%. So people are starting to wise up here. And no, I, I think it's interesting. We, we, we hear climate change is this existential threat. Yet if you actually go poll to poll, person to person, there's other things, specifically when we're in a time of heavy inflation and we're in a time of, 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 of high energy prices. A lot of that's driven um, this high inflation. You know, it's, you know, it's not on the top of people's mind. And I think, again, as this comes, as, as, as inflation's not going anywhere, folks, energy prices are going to continue to stay high. I think it's only, you're only going to see this trend continue where yes, climate change, I think people think it's important, but is it the most important issue you know, surrounding them? Not clearly. And I think Statistica does a great job pointing that out. This story Farmers rejecting wind power projects to avoid massive cleanup costs kind of also uh, ties into that in Africa. This article is pretty amazing. There's a lot of farmers out there rejecting offers to host wind turbines to avoid being left with a massive cleanup cost after these things grind to a halt. At first blush, being paid an annual license fee of 10 if 25,000 per tur turbine sounds very, very good. I'll tell you what, the 600,000 plus of demolishing and removing a single turbine uh, all of a sudden goes, holy smokes, that is a real uh, problem. Who's going to pay that at the end of the 25-year contract? Most contracts are around that 25-year mark. It is already coming out. On my way to Abilene, uh, I've been saying all the time when I'm coming to the office here in Abilene, you see uh, a wind farm and it's got the smaller turbines on it. And I can guarantee you it's been abandoned. 
it just sits there and all the blades are coming off of it and it's sitting there and it's no longer fiscally capable of sustaining itself. And the electrical companies are not able to go out and increase rates. So they just sit there. Who's going to pay for those orphaned wind farms? Uh, This is despicable because it's not even planned. Everybody thought, oh, wind farms are going to last 30 years. I've been talking about this on the podcast a long time. Without tax subsidies, they're not fiscally responsible from day one. They are fiscally uh, not even sustainable at about eight years with tax subsidies, and they're starting to fail right around that point. And then rates have to go up. And so they're lucky if they make 10 years. So with that, if anybody has any different information on that, please contact me. So when you take a look at the rest of this story, the Vestastar wind farm project rejected by the landowners and rightfully so. Now, when you take a look at what uh, Cyrus and I talked about in Africa, they're concerned that these wind farms are going to come in. And it's even worse than that. It's because they're getting uh, loans from the World uh, Financial uh, bank the and they sit back and they're high higher interest rates renewable only and then who is going to clean these things up it's not in the contract so that's a huge huge problem so anyway let's go to the next story much of the world's gas comes from Hamas headquarters this war could affect us all the headquarters for Hamas is Qatar and and so this is really a a gigantic problem 